So greetings, uh, friends and fellow Damons. And uh, this is how I found the others. So the year was 1988. And I had discovered the Satanic Bible some years prior to that. So I got 1982 you know, or 83. Um, and I had read that literature and, and that had been had a profound influence on me at the time. Um, I found after, after having interest in the occult and exploring various different um, occult and esoteric resources, when I finally found the Satanic Bible, I discovered that there was an ethos to the practice of black magic and to the pursuit of this idea of the left-hand path. Um, a, that there was an ethos to it, and B, that there was a intelligent metaphysics behind it, although that was um, in a, I would say, rudimentary form at the stage of the Satanic Bible. So I, I had all these ideas. I'd, I'd encountered all these ideas, but here's the problem is that this all took place a long time ago in a very remote part of the universe called Lincoln, Nebraska. And as I said, this is in, in the eighties. So while I was interested in this and pursued these ideas, the only other people that I knew or were aware of who were interested in these ideas were people that I had introduced the ideas to. So you only gain so much momentum working like that. And as you might imagine, a lot of my energy and enthusiasm for pursuing these ideas was, was sort of um, sort of spinning down uh, a little bit as, as time progressed, kind of, you know, wave back and forth depending on, you know, various circumstances. But it got to be 1988 and I was 20 years old. And I lived with some roommates at the time. And we decided to go on a road trip to California. We had basically done, um, they, they had this thing back then in, in Lincoln uh, called Harris Laboratories. And what it was is you sold yourself for, um, is, is basically medical research, pharma, pharmacological research. So you'd go stay in this uh, institution for, you know, two weeks or a month or something like that. And they'd give you uh, medication and usually, you know, it's, it's, you know, cold or flu medication or antibiotics or something like that. That's kind of going through like FDA approval. And so they give it to you and they take blood tests and you basically just sit around and read or, you know, hang out, riff with your friends, what have you. And we'd all done this study together and we we're all ready to make a, a nice chunk of change from it. $2,000 uh, for staying in, in there, um, isolated in, in Harris Laboratories for, um, 
uh, let's see, I want to say it was about a, a month, a little over a month, a little over a 30 day study. So pretty long. And so, um, we were getting what, what to us then was a good amount of money. So while we were sitting in, in Harris labs, we were, you know, wiseacring and coming up with ideas of what we were going to do with the money. And someone had this idea of, Let's all take a, let's take a road trip to the West Coast. Let's go to San Francisco. Hey, yeah, that sounds like fun. We all wanted to go and um, check that out. So the minute that that idea came up, and, and, and as soon as it was decided that that's what we were going to do, I started thinking about the Satanic Bible and thinking about the left-hand path. And... Because you see, up to then, I didn't have any evidence at all that there were other people out there doing this, that there was an organization that the Satan that the Church of Satan even actually existed anymore. Um, the Satanic Bible had no address or any information for further contact. So I always had this as I was pursuing this, I always had this doubt of maybe, Maybe this was something that just happened in the, in the 60s and 70s, and it's not really going on anymore. I had no way of verifying it either way. But when I realized we were going to San Francisco, I thought, wow, here's, here's my opportunity to perhaps find the others. And, and I thought, you know, hey, San Francisco is really hip. I bet, I bet there's... You know, Satanists walking around in the streets wearing black capes and having big, you know, uh, wearing big Baphomet pentagrams and, and all of that. So I thought, yeah, we're going to go out there and I, I bet I'm going to meet someone. So we went on a road trip to San Francisco. And and we got there and, you know, we're, we're basically scrubs. We were living, we had a van. And so we we're sleeping in the van and, and, you know, we'd go walk, uh, up and down hate street. And, um, you know, I was looking every which way to see if I saw anyone who looked like a Satanist. And if I did, I was, I was already, I was going to say, Hey, Hey man, Hey, let's, let's talk. I'm, I'm into this. How can I, uh, find out more? And, um, but you know, I didn't see anyone like that. Not even close. Um, I saw lots of gutter punks at the time. And um, interestingly, uh, th this reminds me that, that recently there was a uh, third installment to the Decline of Western Civilization uh, films. There's a Decline of Western Civilization Part 3, and this just came out a couple of years ago. And the backstory of it is that this was actually filmed um, around that same time period, um, or was it 89 or 90, something like that. And, and, and this time the director, and, um, I can't, I can't remember her name right now, but she focused on the, uh, gutter punk scene in California. And so seeing this like, uh, made me, um, remember that time period, because when I went to San Francisco, then in 1988, that was the first time that I encountered gutter punks. And that was an interesting experience because, you know, we had a punk rock scene and I basically was coming out of the, the you know, Midwest punk rock scene, uh, hardcore scene from the time period. And in a, in a 
Midwest town like Lincoln, Nebraska, we didn't have gutter punks. We didn't have homeless punks that that begged for money off of the streets. And so that was a that was kind of a shock there when I first encountered punks on the streets, uh, like on Hate Street. I thought, oh, cool, there's some punks. They're like us. Let's 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 talk to them. They can tell us what's going on. And then you get near them, and they start start panhandling you. And you're like, hey, yeah, get away from me. I don't have any money. And they smelled bad. They smelled like homeless people. And so um, I I feel like that from this whole experience kind of affected me also that I realized that um you know punk rock and you know youth subcultures in general um don't ultimately really lead anywhere good and uh, are ultimately uh kind of nihilistic in in nature so that was going on and we did other fun things there um we ran into uh just saw a friend of ours uh who is from Lincoln and she just happened to be there visiting also. And so we hung out with her for a little while. And, and the other thing is we're all 20 years old. So um, we, we couldn't like go into any of the bars or clubs or anything. So we're stuck with uh, basically running around on the streets and we didn't have money. We couldn't afford to eat in any, uh, you know, San Francisco restaurants. We'd eat at, uh, you know, Burger King and, 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 and stuff like that to try and save money. And one day we went out to Berkeley. I got to visit the Berkeley campus and we actually went in to the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, campus uh, student union and got information on how to, uh, how to register. And so that was a thing, too. For a brief moment, I was almost going to register and, uh, and uh, go to school because this actually all happened during a time period when um, I dropped out of college. And I was basically out for a year and just kind of slumming around and, and, you know, going on road trips like this one. And during that time, uh, the Grateful Dead was actually playing in Berkeley and we'd pulled our van up on a hilltop somewhere and where there's a, a number of other people had their vehicles parked around where you could see the dead playing way down there. So I also got to meet lots of deadheads, late eighties deadheads, which is you know kind of a golden age for, for that movement at the time. But still no Satanists, uh, no Satanists to be found. So we were ready to head on from San Francisco and we we're going to head down to Southern California and go to uh, Disneyland. And it was the last day that we were in San Francisco and we were standing on Hate Street and I was kind of, I was disappointed and, and I didn't know, I didn't know about 6114 California street at the time either. I didn't know that the church of Satan, that that was a place there that I could have found. I mean, I had not even seen, uh, the film Satanus. Uh, we were so poor, you know, back then, um, that, you know, and things like this were just simply unavailable. They didn't have that at the local video store there. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of things that I just had no idea about, uh, at the time. And in a last ditch uh, moment of inspiration, while just before we got into the van, I thought, oh, I'll check the phone book. What the hell? And so I went over to the, there's a phone booth there with a phone book in it, which was common at the time. And I opened up the yellow pages. I went to, went through churches. And then oh, I found, oh, churches satanic. Whoa. 
And there it was, the Church of Satan, the Temple of Set, and something called the Temple of Nephthys. So right there, I tore that page out of the phone book and I put that in my pocket. And I still have that to this day. I still have that uh, sheet from the San Francisco phone book to this day. And that was basically my lifeline. There was phone numbers and uh, I can't recall PO boxes, uh, but there was phone numbers in there. There was contact information. And that was my lifeline to the left-hand path. So I realized what a contrast that is for people who find the way now you come in contact with some of this terminology, you go search online, uh, there it all there there it all is. You look on Wikipedia, um, you find some other information, some you know message boards, you find the website for these organizations, you send them an email and and there you go. It's very simple. For me, I had to travel thousands of miles and just have this this lucky moment opportunity um, to, to find this information. And at, at the time I, it was, it, it, it struck me as such an incredible, uh, fortuitous moment. And of course I didn't realize then that, well, 10 years later, all of this stuff is just going to be available to, to everyone. Uh, so anyhow, getting back to California, we then left, we went down to uh, Los Angeles for a little while. And we went to Disneyland and, um, had fun there. And then we, and we headed back through, uh, Utah and somewhere just past Salt Lake city near a small town called Salinas, our van broke down, blew a rod. And so we were stuck in this small town and, and it was on a Sunday, I think, and they weren't going to be able to fix it for, you know, another 48 hours. We were just, you know, stuck in this little town with, with nothing to do. And this is why I remember this particular detail is because this allows me to fix in time exactly when this took place because I was stuck in small town over my 21st birthday. And so it was August 24th. And this is kind of the, the humorous, the humorous subplot to this whole story um, is that, you know, most people get to spend their 21st birthday going around with their friends to different bars and things like that. Um, I was stuck in a little hotel in Salinas, Utah with nothing to do. So I was going to go buy, go to the convenience store and buy liquor for my friends for on my 21st birthday. That was the big thing that I was going to do. And here's the funny thing. I know that this, this must connect somehow with this whole story. I went to that convenience store. I got, I think it was, a six pack of wine coolers, which was a thing, uh, in the late eighties. And, um, when I went up to the counter to pay for it, they didn't card me. So again, this is another lesson about expectations. 
because it makes me think, well, gee, I could have just done this at, at any time. I could have could have bought a six pack yesterday from these guys and, and it wouldn't have made a difference. Anyhow, we made our way on back to Lincoln eventually. And so I had this information uh, to think about. And I wrote to the Church of Satan because I had their P.O. box now. So I, I, I'm, I'm recollecting now the, the Church of Satan had a P.O. box that you wrote to. The Temple of Set had only a phone number in it. So I initially did the writing because that's an easier thing to do. And, and you called the Temple of Set and you got a recording, a voicemail. Uh, or voice message answering machine of, uh, and it was actually Michael Aquino's voice telling you uh, how to get more information and telling you what the PO box, the PO box was. So I initially, um, was, was more interested in, in the church of Satan because I knew more about it. And so I had more of a, uh, uh, I guess a sense of, of loyalty probably towards that at the time. And I wanted to know about that foremost. And so I wrote to them. I got some inf informational material. Um, they had some nice uh, Xeroxes on, on colored paper of the, the nine satanic statements. And then there was also the um, 11 satanic rules of the earth on this nice red paper. And that's the first time I'd ever seen that. All these other books that are out now, which have published that, you know, Secret Life of a Satanist, and none of that shit was around. The only thing that was out there was the Satanic Bible, Satanic Rituals, and the uh, Satanic Witch. So I, I thought that was pretty exciting. And then they had uh, an informational letter about how to uh, become a member, which was um, you send them $100, and then they send you a membership card. Um, and, and this was a lifetime membership. And then you also get an interview that you can fill out to apply for active membership. So we know now this is during the time period when, um, after which Anton LaVey had completely lost faith in the, um, in, in the grotto system and in the degree system and had basically dismantled it completely. It dis fully dismantled the grotto system and the, and the degree system. And only occasionally made, um, occasionally would ordain certain favored people uh, within his inner circle, like um, you know people like you know Boyd Rice and whatnot. Um, so, but you know, I wasn't aware of any of these any of these things uh, during the time period. So, um, I, and I was thinking about that when I thought that. So that a hundred dollars was uh, that was a significant amount of money uh, for a kid in, in, in 1988 who's renting with roommates and you know working part-time jobs and stuff trying to get by. The economy wasn't good and I was in the Midwest. So $100 was a big fucking deal back then. So I spent a lot of time thinking about it, hemming and hawing about it, if I should take that step. And then the next thing that happened, also in 1988, and this was in October of 1988, I remember it as being on uh, Halloween. But when I go look in IMDb, it tells me that it's uh, October uh, 22nd. And that was Geraldo's Exposing Satan's Underground special. 
um, appeared on television. And I watched that live when it came out, um, you know, with my friends and it, it was, it was hyped up so much on TV leading up to it. And it was shown during prime time. It wasn't one of his daytime specials. It was shown during prime time. And, um, of course this is in the middle of the satanic panic and it was a lot of hype and you can go see this now. You can go look this up on YouTube and, 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 and it's very common. People have seen it. But um, I watched that at the time because you have to understand, even though I'd received this stuff in the mail, I still didn't know anything about, you know, wh what kind of people were, were behind this. I had no idea that um, actually during that time period, there was lots of transitional things happening in the COS. The Shreks were in a power struggle. You know, Xena and, and, and Nicholas were in a power struggle to arrest it away, and, and, and Boyd Rice is running around in there somewhere, and Blanche Barton is is, is showing up at this point, um, struggling with, uh, and they're all like, you know, struggling with Anton LaVey for, you know, vying for power and whatnot. I had no idea of any of this stuff going on at the time, though. So this show came on, and I watched that. And of course, this show, in addition to all of the, you know, Ted Gunderson, Satanic Panic and, you know, Sean Sellers and Night Stalker and, and all of this uh, bullshit, uh, Satanic Panic scare shit that was like going on and all this criminal mentality um, nonsense. Um, there was two people on there, Xena and Michael Aquino. And Xena... When, when she was given an opportunity and both of them were just given just, you know, seconds to speak and you can go, you can go see them on YouTube and see how it all was. And, and, and Zena, when she had her moment, she just kind of did her, um, uh, well, you know, where's, where's the bodies? You say there's a satanic conspiracy, but there's no bodies. And it came off really bad at the time. It made it sound like, you know, she was saying, well, maybe there are bodies that you just can't find them. And, then Dr. Uh, Aquino had had his moment to speak, and he made the case that um, everything that you've shown so far is not actually Satanism, but rather the f failures of a conventional religious system, um, you know, something to that effect. And it's so amazing that he was able to say something intelligent, and it wasn't edited out of there. Uh, somehow some intelligent words got through. And this was the first time I ever saw uh, him live and, and, and speaking. And I realized that then that this, this shit is real. There are other people out there that are legitimately following, um, these ideas that are following the left-hand path that are pursuing these ideas. That was my first sign that it was all really happening. So I went and, um, you know, this, it's, it's, a the story from there, um, goes that I went and tried out some of these, I, I tried out this church of Satan for a while. I realized, um, you know, nothing was, was going on after, you know, I, I, I got together the hundred dollars and I joined the organization and I didn't really get anything out of it, um, at all. And so, you know, six, eight months later, you know, the feeling that you've been had started to seep in. And so then I, I, I moved on and checked out the Temple of Set. And so that that's a story that, that goes off on its own trail from there. So at this point, 
I'm going to take a drink of water. And say, you know, what is the moral of this story? And there's something about my whole experience as I reflect on it now. It, it, it reminds me of the narrative structure of Tolkien novels, The Hobbit especially, you know, there and back again. Um, and, and Lord of the Rings follows a similar thing too. Um, the Hobbit who comes from the Shire, which is a nice little metaphor for, um, you know, the Midwest. Of course, Tolkien meant it as a metaphor for, for nice naturalistic England, somewhere that's kind of remote and out of the way of all this other um, traffic of, of, of shit that's going on. That, you know, this, this, this travel like takes place to go where the things are to find the materials that are not available. So that's the, one of the first lessons right there is that in order to obtain extraordinary influences or super substantial influences or, or, or the higher influences are going to help lead you somewhere, help you create a magnetic relationship within your, between yourself and um, others it's often necessary to make what Gurdjieff called super efforts. It's often necessary to go someplace else, to go on a journey, to go on a quest, literally to find those. So there's an old story um, about Timothy Leary was giving a talk about the nature of consciousness and uh, that eight circuit model of the brain and, and, and all of these sorts of things that uh, Timothy Leary is known for speaking of. And one of his students asked, so after I wake up, after I experience something like the eight circuit or objective consciousness, then what? What do I do then with it? What's the point? What do I do next? And Timothy Leary's response was, find the others. That's what you do with it. You go forth and you find the others. So the next question that comes up is what are the others? Is, is that angels and demons? Is it extraterrestrials, greys, reptilians? Or perhaps the others are members of a secret society. Perhaps they are initiates of a you know, fraternal Masonic order. Perhaps they are people you've seen in the media who formed various left-hand path religious organizations. Or perhaps sometimes the others is are comprised by a loose confederation of others who have also awakened within the moment and recognizing the need to find the others, like yourself, are looking around and that you all happen to connect with each other within time and space.
And so what I would like to suggest to all of you now is that whatever sort of deep question has welled up within you that has caused you to take certain action and to make connections with others to see within yourself a certain magnetic quality that forms as a result of, first of all, these new influences that you are absorbing, but also how that magnetic quality leads you towards finding other people who are also absorbing or attempting to absorb a similar quality of influences. And again, all of this has to be done after you have learned to identify that there are different levels of influences. Just as there's different levels of being from non-conscious to semi-conscious to objective consciousness. There's different levels of influences that feed these different levels of being. And as long as you stay within the horizontal realm of influences, the cyclical influences that don't actually go anywhere, that they may feed and stimulate and entertain, but ultimately don't open you up to a new reservoir of energy that feeds these higher levels of being. Therefore, the first thing that everyone has to take unto themselves is the responsibility for learning to make decisions in relation to the sorts of influences that are available to you. And then at certain points, the will and the deep wish to take the risks that are necessary to change your circumstances, to move beyond your ordinary mechanical day-to-day -day existence. And that also means your ordinary day-to-day -day circle of friends. So, uh, Counselors and motivational speakers who come to speak at high schools to warn you against doing drugs and, 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 and falling off the, the, the path of truth. They always like to say, you know, show me your friends, show me a kid's friends, and I'll tell you what that kid's about. Because there's a law that water seeks its own level. And so we were, we're, we're processed through the system in ordinary life where we are, you know, the system finds out what our level is after you know 18 or so years of existence here and pretty much, much just imprints us to stay at that level. And if you allow yourself to just go with the flow of things, then you're going to get organized. You're going to get put in your place based on laws that are beyond you, based on mechanical laws. Everyone catches a glimpse of the world beyond mechanical laws, 
of the world beyond that's subject to less laws. Everyone catches a glimpse of it. Everyone has seen it in some form or another, but most let that apprehension fall away and drift off into the realm of, of, of forgotten dreams. But those of you who have decided that there, there, there's something more to that and you're hanging on to the memory of what you have seen beyond, it is imperative not only that you hang on to that, but that you are prepared to make efforts to rock the boat, to shatter the walls, to completely disrupt the horizontal circulation of influences and to move into the vertical circulation of influences that is like linear. So with that, I will close this talk and bid you all to keep fighting the good fight and to always keep the dark fires burning.